This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Hi, park enthusiasts. I'm your host, Delia D'Ambra. The story I have for you today starts out simple, but gets really complicated. As complicated as, say, hiking a trail that has loose gravel, hidden roots, and unforeseeable obstacles that get in your way. It's the case of a 10-year-old boy who mysteriously vanished from a church camp near Estes Park, Colorado, only to be found dead a year later, just three miles from where he was last seen. Estes Park sits about 90 miles northwest of Denver and is nestled right in the middle of the Rocky Mountains. It happens to be a part of the American West that's near and dear to my heart, since it's where I got married and I visit there about once a year. When I picked this story for the show, I knew based on the geographic location and personal connection I had to the region that the story was going to be as hard for me to tell you about as it will be for you to hear. That's because the natural beauty of the mountain peaks and rivers that flow through this part of Rocky Mountain National Park is what my heart and mind tend to dwell on when I'm out there. But getting caught up in that idyllic scenery makes it easy to forget that you're truly in the wilderness. This case takes place at a church camp for boys that offered young men the opportunity to go hiking, swimming, fishing, and basically do anything they wanted to to enjoy nature. On a summer evening in August 1958, when one camper was a no-show for dinner, counselors got worried. At first, the incident was chalked up to a scared, lost boy perishing in the Colorado wilderness. But over the last six decades, a tangled web of allegations and new evidence has emerged that's prompted authorities to question everything they thought they knew about the disappearance and death of 10-year-old Bobby Bizzup. This is Park Predators. Right before 6 o'clock on Friday, August 15, 1958, Terry Cohen, a camp counselor at an all-boys wilderness camp called Camp St. Malo, was making his rounds, letting campers know that it was almost time for dinner. Some online dictionaries pronounce the name of this camp with a French pronunciation like San Malo, like it's one word, but others say it like Malo. I'm going to pronounce it how I most commonly heard it, and that is St. Malo. The camp was a Catholic church camp for boys located just south of Estes Park, Colorado, at the base of a staggering 13,000-foot mountain known as Mount Meeker. 
It was super close to the boundary of Rocky Mountain National Park, and it opened for six weeks in the summer, usually welcoming campers in late June and closing for the season in mid-August. Boys ages 9 to 16 were allowed to attend. While stopping to chat with boys from each cabin, Terry made sure he told one boy in particular, Bobby Bissop, that it was time for dinner. Terry found Bobby fishing near a creek not too far from the camp's main grounds and motioned for him to pay attention. Terry and the other staff members had to take extra care when communicating with the 10-year-old because Bobby had been born with a hearing impairment. Even though he wore a hearing aid, he still had difficulty picking up most sounds, and his speech was hard for a lot of people to understand. He mostly relied on sign language and reading people's lips in order to understand what they were trying to communicate to him. The Denver Post reported that when Terry told Bobby he needed to wrap up his fishing activities and make sure he would be on time for dinner, Terry pointed at his wristwatch that showed it was close to 6 p.m. According to Terry, Bobby nodded that he understood the message and all the information had registered clearly. After his interaction with Bobby, Terry made his way back toward the main building of the camp and carried on with his duties. There were more than 80 campers to manage, and if you're someone who's cared for young boys in any capacity, you know that wrangling that many young men takes a lot of energy and effort. Terry had a lot of things to do, and personally escorting Bobby to dinner was not one of them. Several news reports said that this camp averaged 80 campers a week, and that was normal. So with such a high volume of kids on the ground in August of 1958, counselors like Terry were busy, extremely busy. When six o'clock came and went and all of the other boys had shown up to the dining hall, except Bobby, staff noticed. The research material isn't super clear on whether or not counselors inside the dining hall did like a head count or a cabin count or something, and that's how they realized Bobby was absent. But however they found out, the fact remained that Bobby was not there where he should have been. Minutes ticked by, and then a half hour, and then longer, and there was still no sign of Bobby. The staffers didn't panic immediately, though. They figured maybe Bobby had just decided to keep fishing and skip dinner. After all, he wasn't a newcomer to the camp by any means. He'd been three different times in the summer of 1957 and one week earlier in the summer of 1958. He knew his way around the cabins, mess hall, and outbuildings. Staff assumed he'd probably ventured off to explore and just lost track of time. He was from the Denver area and the only son of U.S. Air Force Sergeant Joseph Bizzup and homemaker Constant Bizzup, who some sources refer to as Connie. According to the Greeley Daily Tribune, on Friday night, about a dozen camp counselors searched high and low for Bobby, but they didn't find him. It was like he'd vanished into thin air. They grew more concerned with each passing hour, thinking maybe he'd ventured too far from the fishing hole Terry had last seen him at. Maybe he'd gotten lost once it got dark. Unfortunately, the camp staff didn't report Bobby officially missing until Saturday morning, August 16th, hours after anyone had actually seen him. When they did finally file the report on that Saturday morning, they filed it with the Boulder County Sheriff's Office, a department 35 miles away from the camp. It's unclear from my research why the staff contacted Boulder authorities instead of a closer agency, but either way, deputies were dispatched to the scene and arrived on Saturday morning. The Daily Sentinel reported that at some point, shortly after law enforcement became aware of Bobby being missing, the camp called Bobby's parents and the U.S. Forest Service to let them know what was going on. By midday, more than 50 searchers made up of deputies, rangers, state patrol troopers, and volunteers had assembled and started scouring the rugged terrain that surrounded the camp looking for any sign of Bobby. 
Joseph and Constant Bissup made the drive up from Denver in no time and aided authorities however they could. Joseph participated in searches himself while Bobby's mom had to take a back seat. The Daily Sentinel reported that the chaos of the search and the fact that she learned her only son was missing made her so distraught that she needed to be cared for by a doctor. According to several other news reports, more people joined the search efforts for Bobby on Saturday. Camp St. Malo closed on Sunday, but some counselors stayed behind to search for Bobby while all the other camp attendees were sent home to their families. Three days into the search, on Monday, August 18th, more than 100 people were out looking in the woods and along creeks in the rocky incline of Mount Meeker. The authorities utilized helicopters and small airplanes, as well as divers who searched the creek where Bobby was last seen fishing. The water in that area wasn't very deep though, maybe just a foot or two in the deepest spots, and there was little current. So really, I don't think the divers were looking for Bobby's body necessarily. More than likely, they were searching for something that belonged to him or a clue that could point them in the direction he might have headed if he was lost. The Bakersfield Californian reported that the last people to see Bobby described him as weighing 82 pounds, stood four foot six inches tall, and was wearing a sports shirt, light blue summer jacket, blue jeans, and sneakers. Other than that, he looked like your average fifth grade boy, with the exception that he had a hearing aid. According to the Greeley Daily Tribune, on Monday, specialized scent tracking dogs were flown in from California and volunteers with the Colorado Civil Air Patrol started to search 60 square miles and they made an interesting discovery. Members of the group located what they called an ice cream carton that camp staff positively identified as something Bobby used to put his bait worms in when he went fishing. Next to the box, they also found a small fishing pole. The weird thing, though, was that these items were not close to the creek Bobby had reportedly been fishing in. They were a good ways away on a hillside, about a mile from Camp St. Malo. Regardless of where they were, though, the discovery of the items reignited everyone's hope that Bobby was still alive and he was just trying to find his way through the woods. And maybe he was even leaving items behind him as he went. Sort of like a breadcrumb trail. On August 19th, five days after he disappeared, more than 500 searchers, including 300 men from the same Air Force base where Bobby's dad was stationed, meticulously combed every square inch of the wooded mountainous terrain surrounding the camp. They were checking under thick brush and in ravines, but still, no sign of Bobby surfaced. That same day, the sheriff in Boulder told the Medford Mail Tribune, quote, the boy may be hiding from the group, end quote. That statement stood out to people looking on from the outside, and I'll be honest, it even felt a little presumptive when I first read it. But as I researched this story and saw all the reporting, I think I know why the sheriff made that statement. You see, in the immediate days following Bobby's disappearance and the case getting a lot of media attention, people in Estes Park, Boulder, Fort Collins, and even as far away as Denver were being super vigilant and keeping their eyes peeled for 10-year-old boys that look like Bobby. Several people called into investigators to report sightings of him. For example, the Medford Mail Tribune reported that just a day or two into the search, a driver had come forward and said they'd spotted a boy who matched Bobby's description on the side of Highway 7 near a large rock just a few miles from the turnoff to Camp St. Malo. The Estes Park Trail newspaper reported that when bloodhounds were taken to that spot, they alerted and ran off in the direction of the town of Estes Park. So to authorities, this made them feel certain Bobby had been there or was somewhere in the town. To add to that were three more tips that came in that said a boy matching Bobby's description had shown up in local stores. 
Of all of those sightings, one stood out from the rest. The Greeley Daily Tribune published an article that said a hardware store clerk in Estes Park had remembered seeing a boy matching Bobby's description come into his store on Tuesday, August 19th. And when he asked the boy a question, the boy didn't respond. Instead, the kid just pointed to his mouth and ears, indicating he could not hear or speak. Now, I have to admit, if I was Bobby's parents in this moment when I learned that information, that report would have given me a lot of hope that my son was still out there. The problem with that sighting and all of the others was that none of them really helped police narrow in on where Bobby was. Joseph, his father, told reporters that he believed his son had, quote, got scared because he didn't go to supper when he was supposed to, and when he saw the counselors looking for him, he just ducked into the woods to dodge them, end quote. Bobby's parents didn't think it was out of character for their son to hide if he thought he was in trouble. So the statement the sheriff made about Bobby possibly hiding from search parties makes a little more sense when you understand it in that context. The Estes Park Trail reported that all of the alleged sightings of Bobby in Estes Park prompted investigators to focus more on ground searches closer to town. They set up roadblocks and used the bloodhounds to try and pick up Bobby's scent in several places. In total, more than 200 people participated in the effort, which covered a five square mile radius. For a day or two, authorities focused specifically on the grounds of a local YMCA resort, where a man had spotted a boy acting unusual near an old railroad tunnel, but pretty quickly that lead went nowhere. Police and camp staff felt certain Bobby was not in the woods or the wilderness anymore. Just based on the fact that they'd had so many people on foot and in the air searching inch by inch for him, the likelihood that he was still in the trees or rocky terrain seemed slim. The director of Camp St. Malo, a guy named Reverend Heister, told reporters with the Fort Collins, Coloradan and UPI News, quote, I think he just took off. We definitely think he's somewhere near the camp. We feel he's alive, all right, and in the Estes Park area, because we would have found him by now if he was in the hills. End quote. By the end of the first week of Bobby being missing, Bobby's parents and volunteers with local newspapers printed flyers with his photo on them and handed them out around town to residents and visitors. The flyers included a message directed to Bobby that read, quote, Mother and father love you. We need you. Mother is sick. She needs you at home. We love you. End quote. Not long after that, the Bizups were forced to return to their house in Denver so Constance's personal physician could tend to her. The impact their flyers had created, though, didn't stop with their departure. Thousands of copies of the posters were printed and dropped out of airplanes over the Colorado wilderness around Mount Meeker. The hope was that if Bobby was out there, he'd see one of the flyers and come out of hiding. The flyers were also meant to alert hikers and hunters along the western slope of the mountain to be on the lookout for the boy. Everyone was hoping against hope that Bobby was out there somewhere and would know it was okay to come home. What's interesting to me is that in all of the articles outlining the intense searches conducted to find Bobby, not one law enforcement source considered or even mentioned the notion of abduction or foul play. Everyone involved seemed to think Bobby was intentionally hiding from the authorities, but no one considered or at least verbalized that they considered it was possible the 10-year-old did not have the ability to come home. I understand that investigators could only theorize based on the evidence and information they had in front of them, but a 10-year-old boy vanishing without a trace seems like something that nowadays would set off alarm bells and there was a real possibility a stranger abduction or murder had occurred. 
Then again, this story takes place in 1958, an era where the idea of someone snatching a young boy in the woods at a church camp just wasn't really something people thought could happen. Anyway, by day seven of the ongoing search for Bobby and no sign of him turning up, volunteers circled their efforts back to the creek where they were told he'd last been seen fishing. The Fort Collins Coloradans said that searchers began draining beaver ponds and deep pools upstream and downstream looking for Bobby. Obviously, that task was pretty solemn. Essentially, they were looking for Bobby's body in the event he'd fallen in and had gotten tangled in brush and drowned or something. But once again, those efforts resulted in no Bobby. Right after that, investigators and the boy's family got some news that crushed any mounting hope that he had been seen in town and was still out there. A man vacationing in the area from Illinois came forward and told authorities that his 11-year-old son, who uncannily resembled Bobby, may have been the boy the hardware store clerk in Estes Park had spotted just days earlier. What was almost unbelievable was that this man's son was the same age as Bobby, and he wore a hearing aid. This was a devastating blow. I mean, what were the chances that another young boy resembling Bobby with a hearing aid close to 10 years old was spotted alone in the town of Estes Park at the same time authorities were searching for Bobby? With that promising sighting debunked, authorities didn't have many other routes to take to keep the case moving forward. As August came to a close and cold fronts and rainy weather moved into the area and some snow had started to fall in the mountains, these conditions made it super challenging for law enforcement searchers and volunteers to keep looking for Bobby. On and off during all of the searches that had taken place, it had actually rained almost every day and temperatures had dipped into the low 40s. That was definitely not ideal weather to be out in, especially considering Bobby only had a light jacket with him when he reportedly vanished. Hope of finding him alive had dwindled to almost nothing by August 26th, and on that day, the search for the 10-year-old was officially called off. Authorities announced that every cabin, shed, and barn in a 10-mile radius around Camp St. Malo had been thoroughly searched and cleared. Waterways, brush piles, and even alleyways in the town of Estes Park had turned up no sign of the boy. Bobby's father, Joseph, told the Cincinnati Enquirer, quote, we don't know what has happened to our boy. We don't think we'll ever see him again, end quote. Joseph later expressed to the Denver Post that neither he nor his wife blamed staff at the camp for what had happened to their son. He said he felt the staff had done everything they could to care for Bobby while he attended the camp, and in no way did the family feel that Bobby's disappearance was the camp's fault. After the search was called off, people in the immediate area of Estes Park remained vigilant and kept an eye out for Bobby in the off chance that he was still out there somewhere. But for the rest of 1958 into 1959, nothing really happened with the case. Camp St. Malo reopened in June of 1959 to a fresh new batch of campers. And with those new attendees came a discovery that changed everything. Do you want to set your child up for success? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. Now, my little guy is still young, but I can already tell that integrating fun ways to learn is going to be a game changer for him. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. There's one site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. 
Kids can even access IXL on the go through the app or your phone or tablet. No more trying to figure out how to explain math equations or grammar rules yourself. IXL has built-in explanation videos. Make an impact on your child's learning and get IXL now. And Park Predators listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com park. Visit IXL.com park to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Imagine upgrading your wardrobe with luxury essentials at unbeatable prices. Well, with Quince, you can do that. All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. I recently walked all the way through JFK Airport in New York with a terrible piece of luggage that had a wheel that literally would not roll. So I was on the hunt for a new piece of luggage, but I wanted something that was sort of luxury, while at the same time durable. And I found an awesome carry-on with Quince. So I got something super nice, and I did not have to fork out a fortune. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash parkpredators for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash parkpredators to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash parkpredators. On Friday, July 3rd, 1959, almost a year after Bobby disappeared, three men named Neil Hewitt, Jerry Cusack, and Mike Courtney were hiking with a group of young men from Camp St. Malo. The group was headed up the side of Mount Meeker at roughly 11,000 feet when they spotted something unusual near a ravine. They worked their way around the banks of a waterway known as Cabin Creek and got a closer look. After just seconds of staring, the trio realized that they'd found a bundle of tattered little boy's clothing, a small baseball cap, a hearing aid battery case, and what looked like several human bones. The men didn't brush this find off. They hiked back down to Camp St. Malo to alert the camp's director. The men felt in their guts that what they discovered could be related to Bobby Bissup. The men were reportedly so convinced of this because one of them recognized the Zenith brand hearing aid battery pack in the pile of stuff. Neil, Jerry, and Mike had actually participated in dozens of searches for Bobby in August of 1958, and now they were the very people to find what they thought could be his remains. What's weird is that some news reports say the camp's director, Richard Heister, didn't actually report the discovery to police until three days later, on July 6th. Now, I couldn't find any source material that explains why this delay happened, but eventually the Boulder Sheriff's Office did become aware of it. And when they did, they responded to the ravine right away. When they arrived, deputies collected everything as evidence and noted that some of the bones appeared to have been gnawed on by animals and scattered further from the main pile of stuff. Within a matter of hours, officials sent what they believed were 12 rib bones, a clavicle, several vertebrae, a humerus, and a few other long bones to a doctor in Estes Park to get confirmation that they were in fact human. Missing from the assortment of bones was a skull or anything that looked like a jawbone. While police waited on the determination, investigators held on to the hearing aid and clothing as potential evidence. The Estes Park Trail newspaper reported that they then quickly got in touch with Joseph and Constance Bizup to let them know bones had been found. 
At the time of the discovery, Bobby's parents were vacationing in New York, trying to heal from the trauma of everything they'd experienced in the last year. It's unclear if they came back to Colorado right away or made their way back over a period of several days. Either way, after the bones were sent to the doctor, he confirmed what everyone feared. The bones were human and definitely belonged to a young boy. Obviously, DNA testing wasn't available in 1959, so there was no way for investigators to confirm 100% that the remains belonged to Bobby. But just based on the fact that a Zenith hearing aid and pants similar to the ones Bobby had last been seen wearing were with the bones was enough for authorities to publicly announce that he had been found. One article in my research material stated that a baseball cap that was found in the pile of stuff had Bobby's name written on the inside of it, but that was just one report, and I'm not sure it's entirely accurate. However, if that's true, then I definitely see why police felt so confident that the remains were really Bobby. The discovery was heartbreaking for everyone, especially Bobby's parents, but at the same time, it was also kind of confusing. Authorities told the Estes Park Trail newspaper that the ravine Bobby's remains had been found in was searched at least three times by three different search groups during the first week of the investigation. Each of those times, no one had reported seeing a boy's body. Yet somehow, he definitely ended up there or been there the whole time and was either overlooked or placed there after all the searches. This glaring discrepancy led police to conclude that somehow Bobby had been alive during all the searches, and after the three times that that particular ravine had been combed, he'd made his way up there and died from exposure to the elements. I'm not kidding. Officials literally told news outlets, quote, he may have wandered into the area after the search was complete, end quote. So they strongly implied that a 10-year-old boy had survived in the Colorado wilderness for at least 10 days without food or shelter and then hiked roughly 2,000 feet in elevation up a mountain where he got so turned around, he died of natural causes from the cold rain and snow that had started coming in during the month of August. Seems a bit unbelievable to me, but that's what they went with. The Estes Park Trail newspaper published an aerial photo of the spot where Bobby was found. And I'll be honest, looking at it makes me think that what authorities believed happened is super unlikely. Not to mention the spot where Camp St. Malo is marked on the map is just three miles downhill from the spot where Bobby's bones were eventually found. So say in the event that Bobby did actually wander his way up the mountain, he would have been in the perfect spot to look down and literally see the grounds of Camp St. Malo in the distance. From his vantage point, he would have had a much better sense of direction to be able to get back to camp. Almost as strange and confusing as the discovery of his remains were was the fact that three Camp St. Malo counselors had been the people to find Bobby. What were the chances that these three guys out of the hundreds of searchers who looked for Bobby would be the people to stumble upon his remains? What's weird is that according to news reports at the time, authorities didn't even question these guys. They just thanked them for their help and didn't focus on them at all. I also never saw any reporting that indicates authorities questioned Terry Cohen, the counselor who last had interaction with Bobby on the night he vanished. By the end of July 1959, the Boulder County coroner officially ruled that Bobby had died of natural causes, specifically exposure. This ruling closed the case for good. Now, I'm not a doctor or medical examiner, but it seems odd to me that a coroner would feel comfortable definitively ruling on a cause or manner of death if the skull of a deceased person was still missing. But either way, that's what happened. 
At the time, no one seemed to question the coroner's decision, including Bobby's parents. Everyone just accepted the idea that Bobby had wandered away from camp, hid from searchers for a while, been scared to get in trouble, and decided to hike three miles up a mountain where he unfortunately died of exposure. As strange as that may seem, for the family and for authorities, the case was closed. The Bisops held a funeral for Bobby in late July 1959 and buried what was left of his remains in Fort Logan National Cemetery in Denver. Everyone moved on, thinking there was nothing more to do or say. Decades passed, and the 1980s came and went, and during that time, Camp St. Malo closed. Years later, in 2011, a fire destroyed the main buildings, and after that, a flood ripped through and destroyed most of the land. The only thing that was left standing was a stone chapel that marked a boundary point of the original grounds of the camp. Nine News investigator Kevin Vaughn reported that during the years that the camp was actually operating, thousands of boys that attended made memories there. Vaughn said that the former wilderness retreat had some dark secrets, though, hiding beneath its facade. In 2019, shocking allegations surfaced against Catholic priests in Colorado that accused them of using their positions of power within the church to sexually abuse young men. The abuse allegedly happened within the walls of sanctuaries and at ministry camps run by their staff. Camps exactly like Camp St. Malo. Vaughn's reporting detailed that from 2002 until 2019, victims who claimed to have been abused by priests all over the state had come forward to the Colorado Attorney General, Phil Weiser. They explained that they'd suffered abuse at the hands of men who worked for the Catholic Church and at Camp St. Malo in particular. The AG's report was finalized in 2020 and exposed at least 43 Colorado priests who, quote, molested 166 children between 1950 and 2019, end quote. The findings determined that three victims claimed to have suffered abuse while attending Camp St. Malo. And to make matters worse, the AG's report also confirmed that the camp's founder, a man named Reverend Joseph Bassetti, had victimized a teenage boy around the time he started the camp in 1949, and that abuse had continued for more than a year. But that wasn't even the worst of it. According to Nine News' article, two priests out of the 43 named in the AG's report were identified as being especially prolific in their sexual abuse of young boys. One was named Harold White, and the other was Father Neil Hewitt. Yep, the same Neil Hewitt who was one of the three men who discovered Bobby Bisop's remains in July of 1959. According to documents from the Colorado Attorney General's office published by Kevin Vaughn, Neil abused at least eight boys in four different parishes during his decades-long service in the Catholic Church in Colorado. The report stated that Neil would use alcohol and pornography to groom his victims and cause them to let their guards down. He'd then isolate them and abuse them for his own sexual gratification. The findings stated that one of Neil's victims ended up choosing to take his own life years after suffering from Neil's abuse. What's unreal is that both Harold and Neil were counselors at Camp St. Malo in the summer of 1958. They left the priesthood in 1980. Neil got married and moved to Arizona, and in 2019, Nine News caught up with him at his mobile home and asked him about Bobby Bizup. Neil told Kevin Vaughn that the night Bobby disappeared, he was running the snack bar at Camp St. Malo. He said Bobby had come up to him wanting to buy candy with 25 cents the camp nurse had left for him under his pillow after he lost two teeth. Neil said he told Bobby he shouldn't have any more sweets, and then Bobby took off. 
Even though Kevin Vaughn didn't ask Neil if he did anything to Bobby, Neil volunteered that he didn't do anything to the 10-year-old. Based on all the research material I could find for this episode, Neil Hewitt has never been questioned by law enforcement in relation to Bobby's disappearance and death. Not only were predators like Neil working at the camp when Bobby disappeared, but new testimony that's emerged literally in just the last few years is telling a very different story than what authorities so many years ago believed likely happened to Bobby. Information has come to light that completely contradicts the theory that Bobby simply wandered off and died in the woods. Back when you were in school, what was the most difficult thing about learning a new language? Was it the instructor? Was it your own attention span? Was it getting the accent right? For me, I'll be honest, it was all of those things. Well, with Rosetta Stone, all of that is in the past. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. It's available on desktop or can be used on an app or on your phone or tablet. Rosetta Stone has been the trusted expert for 30 years with millions of users and 25 languages that are offered. It immerses you in many ways. With its intuitive process, you can pick up any language naturally. First with words, then phrases, then full-blown sentences. And my personal favorite part is the true accent feature, where you get feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. It's like having a personal trainer for your accent. As I've been trying to brush up on my French and learn Italian this past year, this feature has been a game changer. So what are you waiting for? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Park Predators listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com park. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com park today. As a Park Predators listener, you know the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every case, we've learned one thing. Your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation, whether you're at home or away on a trip. That's why you should invest in Simply Safe home security today. Simply Safe wraps your whole home in protection with sensors to detect break-ins, fires, floods, and more. I can't even begin to tell you guys how much peace of mind our indoor and outdoor cameras have brought me and my husband over the years. We recently were out of town and we just got this feeling that we wanted to check on our house. You know, that feeling that maybe you get on a trail somewhere in the middle of nowhere and you want to know, hey, what's going on? So we looked at our indoor Simply Safe camera and everything just felt so much better. We could see that actually nothing was wrong, but at least we had that peace of mind. And for as long as I've been partnering with Simply Safe, I've told you that it has given me and many of my listeners real peace of mind. And I want you to have it too. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com/parks. That's simplysafe.com/parks. There's no safe like Simply Safe. After the bombshell information regarding Catholic priests came out in 2019, people who were still alive and had been at Camp St. Malo the night Bobby disappeared started speaking out. For one thing, Neil Hewitt's story he told Nine News reporter Kevin Vaughn about having a conversation with Bobby the night he vanished had never been known before. But even more interesting than that were stories flooding in from other people about what they saw and heard back in August of 1958. 
A park ranger who was unnamed in Kevin Vaughn's reporting said that he'd interviewed a few young men at the camp back in the initial days of the investigation, and those boys had said that the last time they saw Bobby, right before he disappeared, he was acting really upset. Another man named Richard Heister, who, for clarity, is the nephew of former Camp St. Malo director Reverend Richard Heister, told Nine News that on the night Bobby went missing, he'd been in a large house on the camp that everyone would gather in sometimes. While hanging out, Richard said a boy rushed past him, pushed him out of the way, and said something loud that no one could understand. After that, the boy who'd pushed him ran out the front door. It was only years later that Richard realized the boy who'd left in a huff was Bobby Bizup. According to Nine News, in November 2020, all of the mounting suspicion about whether or not the abusive priest could somehow be tied to what happened to Bobby led to the National Park Service Investigative Services Branch to officially open a criminal investigation. You heard me right. I said open, not reopen a criminal investigation. Because technically, back in 1958 and during all the years since, no one had looked into what happened to Bobby as an actual crime. Unfortunately, by 2020, Bobby's parents had died, and the only surviving family member left to advocate for him was a cousin who spoke extensively with Nine News. But this announcement about an actual criminal investigation getting underway wasn't even the last of the bizarre twists in this case. Thanks to Kevin Vaughn's diligent journalism, all of the new information about Camp St. Malo and Bobby Bizup caught the attention of a man in Denver who'd become critically important. This guy's name was Tom McClowski, and after Nine News' investigation in May of 2021, Tom came forward to federal authorities with a major clue. Tom brought investigators a human skull that he'd said he'd found in the home of his father, Dr. Joseph McClowski. Tom's story was that his dad had been in possession of the skull for years, and after his death in 1980, Tom took it and just casually kept it in a paper bag in his basement. Channel 9 reported that back in the 1950s and 60s, Tom's dad happened to be good friends with Reverend Richard Heister, the director of Camp St. Malo. Tom told Kevin Vaughn that during all the years that his father had the skull, he'd made reference on more than one occasion that it might have belonged to a boy who disappeared at Camp St. Malo in 1958. Can we just pause here for a minute? I mean, as I was reading all of this, it was so incredible, it was almost hard to believe. I mean, who just has a boy's skull in their house for years, all the while suspicious that it might be related to the infamous case of Bobby Bizup, but never says anything? How Joseph McClowski came into possession of the skull is what has my mind asking all the questions. Did someone give it to him? When did they give it to him? Who would have given it to him? Why in the world did he keep it? Based on what I learned from the reporting that's out there on this lead, Tom would have only been a young boy when his dad reportedly got the skull, so I don't think he's at all suspect in this. But what we do know for sure is that in 2020, the skull was sent off for DNA testing to confirm whether or not it even belonged to Bobby. The results of those tests have not come back yet, or at least not been announced publicly. If the skull is Bobby's, that opens up an entirely new avenue of investigation for federal authorities currently working his case. Because the information about the skull is so limited and it's kind of developing in real time, a lot of the source material about it does not describe like what kind of condition it was in when Tom came forward with it, or if it has any teeth that dental records for Bobby could be compared to, nothing. And as of November 2021, authorities have not released any further information about the skull or their ongoing investigation. 
which just leaves us with unanswered questions, and most of the people who could probably answer them are long gone by now. Remember, Bobby died more than 60 years ago. His parents passed away without ever knowing what happened to their only son. But knowing what we know now, it seems that everyone involved in this case today wholeheartedly believes that, at the very least, there might have been the possibility that foul play was involved. Or else, I don't think the National Park Service would have launched an investigation into it. If the NPS really believed Bobby's death was a result of a tragic accident, I think they would have kept it labeled that way. Officially on the NPS's website, Bobby's picture and case information is labeled as a suspicious death. And to add to all of that suspicion is that I don't think it's a coincidence Bobby was at Camp St. Malo at the same time there were two confirmed child sex predators on staff. I'm left to speculate as to whether his challenges with communication might have made Bobby a more vulnerable target for a sexual predator. According to the Maryland Coalition Against Sexual Assault, a disturbing percentage of the deaf community has been sexually assaulted, specifically in their youth, and only about 10% of those victims reach out to either authorities or rape crisis centers out of fear of having their statement translated wrong. A lot of them also don't report because they fear they'll be misinterpreted or not believed. Not only would Bobby being deaf have made him an easy target for an abuser, but the recent testimony that's come out about his disposition on the night he disappeared points to something far more sinister possibly going on with him immediately before his death. When you take into account all of the people that say Bobby was extremely upset by something before he died, I just can't help but think he didn't walk away from the camp voluntarily. Something else I have a hard time wrapping my mind around is where Bobby's remains were found in relation to where Camp St. Malo is located. He was thousands of feet in elevation up Mount Meeker and near Cabin Creek that he could have easily followed downstream in the event he got lost and needed to find his way back to camp. The fact that his body stayed three miles uphill from the camp where ultimately animals got to it, it just does not feel like he went there himself. I'm more inclined to believe he could have been placed there after possibly being abducted and killed. But again, that's just speculation at this point. We don't know for sure if Bobby died of foul play or natural elements. All I know is that the location of his body and clothing and the fact that his fishing pole and worm box were not in the same area just raises some red flags for me all around. There's so much about this case that's unknown, but one thing that is certain is that Bobby deserved better. It's heartbreaking that an official criminal investigation was never opened in his case when he first disappeared, or that no one even thought to consider the possibility of murder. It's also really strange to me, like I said before, that the coroner in this case was allowed to make an official ruling on Bobby's cause of death without having his skull. Even though investigators now are facing an uphill battle to solve this 60-year-old mystery, I think there's still hope that the truth of what happened to Bobby will finally come out. People deserve to know the truth, and Bobby definitely deserves justice. A small story I read while researching this case that I think sums up just how innocent Bobby truly was in all of this came from the Greeley Daily Tribune. The article details the last letter Bobby ever sent to his parents from camp. It arrived at their home in Denver on August 15th, the day he vanished, which meant he had to have sent it a day or two before he disappeared. It reads in part, quote, I bought an airplane and I painted all over it. The paint is silver and the other is yellow. I pulled two teeth and put them under the pillow. We went to a short hike and came back and went to church. 
In the morning, we went to church, and I was going to fix the bed, and I saw under the pillow 25 cents. I said, wow, how come? For my two teeth? I caught a chipmunk. It's missing. Love, Bobby. Good luck, and lots of kisses. Park Predators is an audio Chuck production. So, what do you think, Chuck? Do you approve? The Living Room is where you make some of life's most beautiful memories, but your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant high-performance furniture from Ashley Store is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley Store's high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, comfortable, and easy to clean for more mess and less stress. Shop the life-resistant high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.